Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me this week. I'm Laura Adams, a personal finance and small business expert and author. I've been hosting the Money Girl podcast since 2008, and I'm thrilled that you're with me today. I hope that you'll subscribe so that you automatically get every episode when it gets released. And if you're on the socials, be sure to connect with me there. I'm on Twitter at Laura Adams. It's L-A-U-R-A-A-D-A-M-S. I'm on Instagram at Laura D. Adams. So there's a D in the middle, at Laura D. Adams. And also, lauradadams.com is my personal website where you can learn more about me, my courses, books, and even use my contact page to say hello or send a money question. The mission here on Money Girl is to help you get the knowledge and motivation to prioritize your finances, build long-lasting wealth, and have more security and less stress. Every show is designed to make sure you come away with practical advice and tips to make better money decisions that will hopefully take your financial life to the next level. And many of the topics that I cover here come from you. They come from your questions and topic suggestions. So if you would like to participate, you can leave a message at 302-364-0308. That's our voice message line. And you can also email me using my contact page at lauradadams.com or even send it via one of the social accounts. And don't miss the companion blog post that we publish for every show. They're over in the Money Girl section at quickanddirtytips.com. They're going to contain any references, links, resources, et cetera, that I mention in the show. So it's a really handy way to get some information if, if something I say piques your interest and maybe you're doing something else, you're driving or exercising, and you just don't have a way to remember it at the moment. So again, everything is always in the Money Girl section at quickanddirtytips.com. Today's episode is number 711, called How to Pay for College Without Going Broke. And if you're like many people, this is a key consideration. Uh, The idea of paying for a child's college or even your own education can be completely daunting. The rising cost of education seems like it's just out of control. It's just getting bigger and bigger every year. And taking on a mountain of student loan debt to pay for it can be a little frightening. According to the Federal Reserve, in the second quarter of 2021, Americans owed $1.73 trillion in student loans. That's a 3% increase from the same period in 2020, the prior year. So the burden of repaying student loan debt can simply be overwhelming. And I think it can prevent you from reaching critical financial goals, maybe buying a home or, of course, investing for retirement. 
So how do you create a plan to pay for college without going broke? If you're a parent, maybe you want to be a parent someday, or you are struggling to repay your student loans right now, do not miss this show. Be sure to stay with me. I've got a great interview coming up to discuss this critical topic with Dan Ricardo. He's a clinical professor of finance at the University of San Diego School of Business. Dan's also an author, entrepreneur, and money coach at Credible.com. He's a noted expert in personal finances, economics, and capital markets. Dan and I had a great conversation about what parents and students need to know about planning for education expenses and managing their student debt. We cover why the cost of college has skyrocketed in recent decades, well above the inflation rate. Common mistakes families make when it comes to prioritizing saving for college or retirement. How much you should borrow in federal and private student loans for higher education based on your future expected income. When to begin the federal financial aid application process for college admission. What to do if you can't repay student loans when the emergency pandemic relief ends in January 2022. How Credible helps you compare student loan refinancing rates to restructure your debt and save money. And we talk about a lot more. Also, Dan and the Credible team were kind enough to offer Money Girl listeners who go through their platform to refinance their student loans a $350 gift card saving you even more money. So they set up a page where you can learn more for free without even getting a credit check. So it's a fantastic resource at credible.com slash money girl. Right now, their rates start at just over 1%. So if you are paying more than that on your student loans, restructuring them could be the ticket for cutting what they cost you so that you can save money and reach other financial goals like building an emergency fund or investing for retirement. Again, I want to give a big, big thanks to Credible for making this possible for the Money Girl community. For a limited time, you can learn more about refinancing for free and get a $350 gift card at Credible.com slash Money Girl. All right, here is my interview with Dan. Dan, welcome to the Money Girl podcast. I'm so glad to have you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I really am interested in talking to you today about student loans. Um, you know, you're a professor, so you get to work with students, and and maybe you know, I don't know if you see the the federal aid side of things or the student loan side of things, but um, I would love your perspective on how the average family with kids can prepare to send them to college. It just seems like the price is going up year after year. What can families do to make sure they can come to a wonderful college like yours and um, yeah. <laughs> make sure their kids can can get through it? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, full disclosure, I have four kids, uh, one of whom is still in college. The other three have have gotten through in addition to to working with students all day around our kitchen table at the Ricardo house. We talk about these very issues. How can we afford it? What's the best strategy to pay for it? And those sorts of things. So it's a topic that is close to home for us. And I will tell you right up front, there's no right best way for every family. So there's, uh, from that perspective, if you're listening, take the pressure off yourself a little bit, you know, step back and say, what's best for our family? What's the best way to do this? What's the best strategy to get our children educated, to equip them with the tools and the education they're going to need to compete in the uh, new economy? And also, 
to not bankrupt the family in the process, right? Not to bankrupt our retirement in the process, not to bankrupt our sibling, their, the siblings of this child in the process. So that's an important thing. I think families sometimes lose perspective when they're doing their college tours and they're looking at, you know, these fabulous universities and colleges that are out there that are available. They kind of lose some of that perspective when it comes to thinking, you know, cost versus value and coming up with the right personal strategy for them. There are ways to do this without bankrupting your family in the process. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a key thing here, which is weighing the cost of future education versus your own retirement. I know so many people that feel so compelled to send their kids to school that they really are are not prepared for retirement. And so, you know, if you if you make that mistake, you're going to end up relying on your kids to pay for your retirement, you know, and that is not something that um, that we want to do either. So I think there is kind of a middle ground there uh, between parents doing what they can, but also empowering kids to get scholarships and get jobs and and figure figure it out on their own. You know, I, I was very fortunate in that I had parents who paid 100% for my college. So, and I know that is, you know, uh, uh, probably a small minority of, of kids who, who get that luxury. So, you know, I know that most kids are going to need to work. They're going to need to uh, yep. maybe take a little longer to get through school. Uh, that, that might be the reality. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, it's about being creative. And you sent a shiver down my spine, Laura, when you talked about moving in with your kids when you're retired because you can't afford to be anywhere else. That's every, every parent's horror is living in their kid's basement eating cat food because they went bankrupt paying for college. So we want to avoid that for sure. We want to avoid that at all costs. But you said something that's important, and that's be creative. And there are ways to do this. Um, and I think some of the common mistakes that you and I have seen over the years with families that we've worked with is number one, the assumption that college, a traditional four-year college is for everyone. It's not. Every child's different. For some parents, that's tough to accept. But once we accept the fact that the traditional path, if, if you want to call it that, to a four-year school, um, you know, child moves out, lives on campus for a few years, that traditional path works for some, but not for everyone. Number two, we tend to put too much emphasis on the school versus the program, the major. And study after study has shown that schools are important. There's no question. Uh, but major, your choice of what you're going to study and how you apply that is much more important to the economic outcome. Next, we have the fact that, you know, oftentimes families, and we're all a little bit guilty of this, we're not as focused on the outcomes as we should be. Americans are the best shoppers on the planet, right? We can, we'll go to the grocery store and we'll look at the ingredients in a box of mini wheats for 20 minutes. But we don't spend as much time really understanding the, the cost, the value, the, the, you know, that value proposition for college. When, it's, in fact, for most families, their single largest expense after their home. So if we apply some of the acumen that we have as shoppers to the college search and selection process, I think we'd all be a little bit better off in terms of what's the return on investment? What's the outcome I can expect? So I think those factors, as, as you and I and parents across the country go through that, that you know, evaluation process and decision-making process, keep those in mind, and it'll help us through this. Why do you think college is going up so much year after year? Yeah, that's a great question. 
from 1977 to 2021, college inflation was about 6.4% annually, more than double, more than double the rate of inflation in the economy. And I think there's a number of things. Number one, demand is up. Now, this is a good thing, right? Back in 1970, uh, 7.5% or so of Americans had a college degree. Today, it's about 40%. So the first thing is demand is up, and that's good. We want an engaged, educated society, right? There's no question. That's good for us. Number two, the wide availability of student loans. You know, the the fact that you can get federal student loans through various programs with virtually no credit history has changed the game. So in many ways, people who were priced out of college a generation before, that door is now open to them because they can get fairly easily student loans Facility build-out, number three, is phenomenal, right? These schools that we've created over the past 10, 20 years uh, are just magnificent, right? We have everything from new buildings, high-tech, uh, vegan kitchens, rock-climbing walls, <laughs> you know, wave pools, and look at some of the salaries, right? I have a daughter at Notre Dame. Uh, Brian Kelly, as you know, just left Notre Dame to, to coach at LSU for $9.5 million a year. Now, I don't begrudge him that, but... These are some of the reasons why colleges has gotten so expensive relative to general inflation in the economy. Yeah. And if you've got to borrow money to attend college, what do you think is the right amount? You know, I know a lot of people use some guidelines like perhaps your first year salary out of school, that uh, projected salary or estimated salary. Let's say, you know, if you're going to be a a doctor and you're going to be able to make, you know, $150,000 out of school, maybe $150,000 is the right number to borrow. Do you think any of those guidelines make sense? I do. I like that. I'm glad you said that. There is, you know, a lot of wisdom in trying not to borrow more than your anticipated first year salary. Now, the problem with that is, you know, is a lot of students go into their freshman year thinking they're going to come out a doctor and wind up coming out, you know, something completely different. So at 18 years old, uh, you may not necessarily have your whole life planned in front of you. I certainly didn't. That's for sure. That is a good rule of thumb, but we also have to have some flexibility, understanding that there's something that gets in the way. It's called life. But that's a great place to start. Beyond that, what we want to do is we want to look at what I call sort of the investment in human capital. And that's really what the education is, right? You're investing in your single biggest asset, which is you, right? Your human capital. So from that perspective, we want to take a longer term approach and say, my career might span 40 years. Uh, or maybe even more. So over that career span of 40 or 50 years, what's the right balance between borrowing now and 40 or 50 years of hopefully a return on that investment? If a listener is not familiar with the financial aid process, what is, you know, what, how does it work? Where do you start? Is there any good resource that you can give folks to sort of begin this whole journey? Yeah. So in the old days, um, it was extraordinarily complicated with paper forms and things like that. It's gotten a bit better. So the good news for everyone listening is it's not as daunting a task uh, as you may have heard. It, It has somewhat been, you know, made a little bit easier for us. The best resource If you remember one thing, the best resource is studentaid.gov. That's the website that the government, Department of Education, sponsors that opens the door 
to a lot of good, valuable educational tools with respect to the college process, paying for college, borrowing for college. And that's where you'll find the FAFSA form, the free application for federal student aid form, which is no longer a paper form. It's all electronic, so that's good. A lot easier than it used to be. And that really is the turnstile. That really is the gatekeeper. That's our first step in starting with a funding plan for college. How are we going to pay for this? So it started on October 1st. It closes on June 30th of next year for the following school year. So we always encourage folks to get your FAFSA in as quickly as you can. And again, the good news, Laura, is that it's a lot easier than it was in the past. That's great. So that's going to help folks understand how much federal aid they may qualify for. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Then what do you do if you still need more money? You know, when does it make sense to take out private loans? Yeah, let's call it the gap, right? We have our cost of attendance, and then we have our expected family contribution, and there's that gap in the middle. And as you said, some of that will be, you know, uh, hopefully plugged with scholarships, grants, those sorts of things. But for most students, for most mere mortals, we still will be left with a gap, and that's where borrowing comes in. At the federal level, and we, my counsel to all families is if you're going to borrow, always start with the federal loans. They may not necessarily have the lowest interest rate at the time, but they will certainly have the most flexibility in the future, as we've seen during the pandemic, right, when we had the pause on federal student loan payments. So if we can, we always want to start plugging that gap with the available federal student loans, and your college will inform you of which of those are you know, available to you. If there's still a gap after that, There are federal loan programs available for parents. Beyond that, there are private student loans available as well. But the parent loans and the private loans are based on credit availability, credit score, your your attractiveness, if you will, uh, from a credit perspective. Whereas the federal student loans that go directly to the undergraduate student, the factors that we don't really worry about too much are your credit scores. Essentially, everyone qualifies as an undergraduate for a limited amount of federal student loans. 
And then when students get out of school, what do they need to know about repaying these loans? Um, You know, some of them are going to be uh, deferred interest. Um, Some of them you may need to start paying right away. You know, are there any tips you can give for kind of uh, just navigating the repayment uh, as soon as you graduate? Yeah. So by the time you're a senior, by the time you're getting close, you know, you're sort of thinking your last semester's come up, you should start putting together a plan for repayment. And as you said, with the federal student loans at the undergrad level, you might have up to six months where you don't have to make payments. Now, that doesn't mean the interest isn't running. Think of the interest as a meter. That meter is running. So the sooner you can start making those payments, the better. Just because you may be able to defer it may not be the best solution. You may want to, you know, if you can afford it, start paying those as soon as you can. But ideally, by the time you leave the quad, you want to have a reasonable strategy in place for how you're going to tackle that monthly payment in terms of when it's going to start, how much it will be, and how that's going to fit into your budget after graduation. You mentioned that there was some emergency relief for the federal student loans um, due to the pandemic. That is coming to a close here pretty soon at the end of January, um, unless there's some, you know, another extension of that benefit. What should folks be thinking about right now if they've been deferring payments and let's say they're dealing with a financial hardship, they're not going to be able to start making those payments again at the end of January? You know, what should they do? Where should they turn for help? Yeah, good question. So first, understand that if you're out of work and legitimately unemployed, looking actively looking for a job, there is up to six months more available in terms of your um, deferral on those payments. If they're federal student loans, you might be able to get up to another six months if you qualify as unemployed. Beyond that, assuming these are, again, all federal student loans, um, there are various income-based repayment programs that, as the name implies, the monthly payment that you make is essentially a function of your monthly income. So if you have a very low income, potentially you would have a very low payment. Those programs are also available for federal federal student loans. And again, the best resource is studentaid.gov to find out about those programs. On the private side, which you know many private loans were not paused, so presumably borrowers have been making those payments, or at least hopefully making those payments. But if you're in over your head there, your best and you know most important phone call is directly to the servicer of that loan. And be honest, say, I'm in trouble. I can't make this payment. How can we work together to, you know, come up with a solution? Most private lenders are more than happy to have that conversation. The last thing they want you to do, you know, is go into the witness protection program and not hear from you. They want to hear from you if you're in trouble rather than no communication, right? So they will work with you most of the time to try to figure out a plan. That might be extended payments. It might be reduced payment for a certain period of time, that sort of thing. The worst thing that you and I can do come February 2nd is throw it in our sock drawer and forget about it. We've got a plan for it now. Be proactive. Reach out for help if you need it. Talk to me a little bit about refinancing student loans. I know this is a service that the company you work with, Credible.com, offers When does it make financial sense to think about refinancing student loans? And talk to me about the availability for uh, federal and private. Yeah, it's a great strategy for some borrowers. So right up front, 
general rule of thumb, if you have federal student loans, uh, as, as certainly from an undergraduate experience that you've had, you probably don't want to refinance them into private student loans. My guess is most of those interest rates are low enough and the term's flexible enough that you probably want to leave those intact if you can. Ideally, if you've got student loans that are, say, 6%, 7%, some of the older ones might be, you know, might be that high, with current rates where they are, which are still near historic lows, it might make sense to take some of those high interest loans, uh, particularly from grad school, law school, med school, those sorts of things, and look to refinance those into private student loans. In some cases, you can cut your interest rate by 30, 40%. So it's pretty substantial savings. But again, the first caveat is if you have federal student loans, because of the flexibility the income-based repayment scheme, for example, because of the flexibility that the federal programs have, generally speaking, you don't want to lose that by refinancing it into a private loan. But if you have a very high interest rate loan, if you have other private loans, if you have grad loans at the federal level that are, again, high interest rate, they're all probably good candidates right now to look at a refinancing. So if a listener goes to Credible and begins comparing rates, you know, what will that rate end up, uh, what is going to be factored in? You know, are, are we thinking about financial stability, credit, are, you know, a lot of those types of factors going to be uh, evaluated in, in the underwriting process? Or, you know, does the visitor just kind of look and, and compare from uh, the different partners that Credible works with and kind of just say, okay, I'm going to choose um, a various partner based on the, the potential rate. So I guess, in other words, is there a way to kind of do some evaluating without taking a hard hit on your, your credit score? Yes, yes, and yes. So that's the beauty of the technology behind uh, Credible is that you and I, if we have just, you know, let's just say we're shoppers and we're shopping to see if a refinancing makes sense with a little bit of personal data that's well protected, we can very quickly, uh, right online, find out if we're a good candidate or not for a refinancing, meaning that we'll be able to see actual offers online with rates and terms uh, using what's called a soft inquiry rather than a hard inquiry. So I'm glad you said that because we don't want to ding people's credit scores just for shopping, and that won't happen. So with a pretty fairly easy process to follow, and it's pretty quick, you'll be able to see right on your screen what those refinancing offers might look like without dinging your score. Love it. Dan, is there anything else that listeners should know about, you know, just wise ways to pay for college without going broke? Well, the best way to pay for college, I've always said, is have somebody else do it for you. (laughs) And the good news there, Laura, is, as you know, more and more employers now chip in. Everyone from Starbucks to Walmart to, you know, Amazon are all now in the business of helping their employees get a college education at you know various levels. In some cases, they'll pay up to 100% of the cost. Uh, my son, as an example, uh, went military, and the military paid for most of his education. So the message for families is a message of hope. There are ways to do this without bankrupting your family. Uh, and the best way is to have someone else do it for you. So the good news is those programs exist. Those employers are out there. But as you said earlier, it takes creativity. It takes a little bit of assertiveness on our part. And you need to be a good shopper. Dan, thank you so much. I appreciate the wise words. 
I appreciate you and, and uh, followed your work for a long time. You do a great job and I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much to Dan for a great interview and all the folks at Credible for a generous offering of a $350 gift card to every Money Girl listener who refinances their student loans at Credible.com slash Money Girl. Remember that refinancing student loans isn't for everyone, but I would encourage you to learn more about it before the pandemic forbearance relief comes to an end, and that's going to be at the end of January 2022. And before we go, if you have not joined my free private Facebook group called Dominate Your Dollars, it's an amazing group of people who are asking great questions, helping others, and reaching their ambitious financial goals. All you have to do is search for the group on Facebook. Again, it's Dominate Your Dollars. That's a great place to ask a money question. And as I mentioned earlier, you can also leave a voicemail for me by calling 302-364-0308. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, here's to living a richer life. Money Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg with editing by Adam Cecil. Our operations and editorial manager is Michelle Margulis. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller and our marketing and public. Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.